Hey everyone, listener feedback time. Uh, today with another email from uh, our inbox at uh, primarycarepod at gmail.com. Let's open it up and see what it is today. All right, email number one uh, today. Uh, hey, can you come downstairs and stop being on your podcast and help with the kids? Love your wife. All right, any real feedback, uh, send it to primarycarepod at gmail.com. Today we are celebrating our iTunes subscriber count, which is now at two. So congratulations whoever also subscribed other than myself. Uh, Hit that subscribe button if you are a new listener, and all of my future episodes that we will send to you will come right to your inbox. All right, without further ado, on to today's episode. The Primary Care Podcast is written and edited by a family physician for an audience of other physicians, nurse practitioners, physicians, assistants, residents, and medical students interested in primary care topics. This is not a podcast for patients and should not be used as medical advice. This is also a personal podcast produced on my own time and solely reflecting my personal opinions. Statements of this podcast do not reflect the views or policies of my employer, past or present, or any other organization with which I may be affiliated. Thank you for listening to the Primary Care Podcast. I'm Dr. Mark List, here to bring you the latest news, guidelines, and updates from primary care sources around the globe. Keeping it under 15 minutes long because not even my wife can stand the sound of my voice that long. And hey, everybody, welcome back for another episode of the Primary Care Podcast. Uh, Thanks for tuning in. Today, we're going to talk about a pretty controversial topic. And I'll be honest with you, this is based on a recent British Medical Journal article entitled Thyroid Hormone Treatment for Subclinical Hypothyroidism, a Clinical Practice Guideline. Uh, This is in uh, 2019 in May, uh, so pretty up-to-date stuff. Uh, It depends on when you're listening to this podcast. I guess it might be not up-to-date. Uh, but when we're talking about subclinical hypothyroidism, it's very always been a gray zone. There's been some evidence to suggest that treating subclinical hypothyroidism might have some effects or benefits from a cardiac standpoint. So as we tackle this today, again, this is more of a review based on the most recent recommendations. Some of the older recommendations were really just expert-based and a lot less scientifically evidence-based. So we'll talk about both of those things today. So with subclinical hypothyroidism, let's start off by imagining a really all too common scenario in the primary care outpatient world. Uh, Let's say a 40 year old woman, uh, let's say she's got a BMI in her 30s, let's say 34, it comes in today with vague complaints of fatigue, mental fogginess, mood changes, irritability, and maybe some vague abdominal complaints. Uh, She read a Dr. Mercola Facebook article while doing her own, quote, internet research, unquote, and thinks she has a thyroid issue. Now, you can ignore the rest of this uh, podcast if you've never had a patient that's come in with this complaint before. But if you're like me, you get this at least a couple of times a week. This is an all too common scenario. Uh, And if you don't deal with this ever, I want to switch practices with you uh, because that would be pretty nice. So let's start uh, as, a, as a quick review. By definition, subclinical hypothyroidism, which affects about 4 to 20% of the adult population based on whatever study you read, is an elevated or borderline TSH in the setting of normal T4 or T3 levels. Now, the risk of progression to overt hypothyroidism ranges between 2 to 5% per year. The presence of antibodies to thyroid peroxidase and, in particular, higher TSH levels increase this risk to going into overt hypothyroidism. However, there are people that reconvert into euthyroid state. Now, based on previously documented studies, subclinical hypothyroidism is chronically associated with an increased risk for coronary artery disease, CHF, and all-cause cardiovascular mortality, especially in those patients with a TSH 
greater than 10, regardless if their T4 and T3 are normal. Now, it's important to note that such associations were not found for most adults whose TSH levels were between 5 and 10. So let's talk about what currently is the standard of care for subclinical hypothyroidism. Really, no one knows what they are doing with subclinical hypothyroidism. The current guidelines are really uh, not super evidence-based. They're more expert recommendations based on extrapolations from the evidence. Uh, certainly, uh, the recommendation right now is if the TSH is above 10, to treat uh, with thyroid replacement. The European guidelines don't say anything about treatment between the upper limit of normal, again, whether that's three and a half or four or five, depending on your lab, all the way up to 10. The medical editors and endocrinologists listed on uptodate.com literally do their own thing irrespective of any major medical society guideline if you read the up-to-date article, which I did in reviewing for this podcast. But they give reasons to why they treat anywhere from the upper limit of normal to 10. And there is an algorithm listed on UpToDate. It's entitled Indications for Thyroid Hormone Replacement in Non-Pregnant Adults with Subclinical Hypothyroidism. And it gives you kind of a rundown of what these experts recommend in terms of above the upper limit of normal up to 7, considering the patient age, uh, 7 to 10, considering the patient age, and 10 or higher. Friendly uh, primary care podcast reminder expert opinion is the weakest of all medical recommendations for a very specific reason, that it's not evidence-based. It's more anecdotal practice-based. So our imaginary but, oh God, so frequently real patient who we described above, our 40-year-old with vague symptoms, comes in, gets a TSH drawn, and it comes back with a TSH of 11, but a T4 and T3 normal. So what should we do? Treat, refer to endo, get more labs, check for antibodies, recheck in two to three months. And how about if her TSH was six? Now, here's an FYI for you. 90% of all patients with subclinical hypothyroidism aren't above 10. 90% are in that range between four to 10 and the upper limits of normal to 10. So in the range where it's only expert recommendation. So today we're talking about a very specific article like I talked about in the British Medical Journal from May of 2019. It's a systematic review article, including 21 randomized control trials with over 2,000 participants. Now, importantly, this study does not apply to pregnant women. So thankfully for my practice, that shouldn't matter anyways. But for those of you who do OB, this does not apply to pregnant women or women looking to become pregnant. Two completely demographic populations we are not going to address today. So that does not apply to them at all. The study also doesn't apply to subclinical hypothyroidism with, quote, severe symptoms, unquote. Uh, uh, Dr. List editing note here, I have no idea what they mean by severe symptoms. We will assume that our imaginary patient has mild vague symptoms and is not too bothered by either excessive weight gain or tremendous temperature fluctuations, etc. Uh, I also don't know what the severe symptoms would entail compared to moderate or mild symptoms. So what did the study show? Uh, specifically, old people, uh, and don't be offended, it's 65 plus, gained nothing from treating their subclinical hypothyroidism. There was no difference in quality of life, thyroid-related symptoms, depressive symptoms, fatigue, cognitive function, muscle strength, and body mass index changes. Mortality was not significant, but the range of deaths in the treatment group were heavily skewed to more deaths with treatment. A negative five to 62 more deaths per year was the confidence interval. So again, we're talking about 
showing once again that treatment in some cases, overtreatment in this case, is more dangerous than undertreatment. Now, what about other demographic groups? Uh, well, if we look at younger people, 30 to 65, showed no evidence of any benefits, but and possibly little to no difference in risks for harms. There was a delay in diagnosis in other disorders. For example, it took longer to diagnose mood disorders because they were given the diagnosis of hypothyroidism as the reason for their symptoms, when in fact it was probably a different diagnosis causing the symptoms all along. Interestingly, no cardiac risk was seen in this review article, which again, historically, has always been the biggest concern from individual studies and why most endocrinologists favor treating subclinical hypothyroidism, or at least recommend it if they don't necessarily favor it. So again, my take home message is that subclinical hypothyroidism probably doesn't matter that much in most patients. One of the bigger studies in the past showed subclinical hypothyroidism when untreated chronically was associated with a risk for cardiovascular disease and congestive heart failure with a relative risk of about 1.2. However, about 62% of TSH levels between 4 and 10 normalize without any intervention in five years. So think about that. We see these patients, they have this slightly abnormal TSH with some vague mild symptoms, and we put them on thyroid replacement. Now, if they had just had subclinical hypothyroidism, we should be taking them off of their medications on a routine basis to see if their thyroid has normalized. Because in 62% of people, this thyroid will normalize. But what happens in the real world? Once you're on thyroid medicine and your TSH stays normal on your thyroid medicine, you're on thyroid medicine for life. And we're adjusting thyroid medicines. But in reality, 62% of these women and or men may normalize all on their own within five years. Now, why does this happen? Well, due to stress, acute illnesses, uh, iodine deficiency, supplement usage can all be factors in temporary subclinical hypothyroidism. However, in real clinical practice, and I know that you guys see this as well as I do, we probably have a ton of people who are taking thyroid medications, who are put on it for subclinical hypothyroidism, who probably normalized without their thyroid medication. And we're giving them a lower dose, and it's probably keeping them just on the, in a normal range of TSH. We don't change it, they're on it historically, and so these people never come off their thyroid medicine. So in the real world, we are probably vastly over-treating a lot of patients. Now, of course, these are not the people who develop overt hypothyroidism, who have abnormal TSH, T3s, but perhaps we need to take a step back and maybe treat these subclinical hypothyroidism cases a little bit less aggressively than is current standard of care at this moment. So while standard of care is always important to consider, especially legally and liability wise, but also for patient satisfaction wise, I think it's important to have this knowledge in the back of your head to make a shared decision-making process with your patient about, well, perhaps instead of treating this, we should wait and continue to do serial TSHs to see if it resolves on its own because the majority do, as long as it's between four to 10, and really only treat those that are above 10 because the studies have shown then that those are the people who do historically get cardiovascular issues. So go forth, fellow practitioners. Feel free to treat that subclinical hypothyroidism over 10, as there is some evidence to support it based on old historic individual studies that have shown issues with cardiovascular disease related to subclinical hypothyroidism. However, feel free with the support of 21 randomized control trials in the systematic review to be confident in just rechecking a TSH every two to three months.
in that range from upper limit of normal to 10 with mild symptoms. You could also check autoimmune antibodies as high titers of those could reflect patients who are definitely gonna go on to convert to overt hypothyroidism. But in general, uh, with our patients' vague symptoms, uh, likely if we go untreated, they're gonna get fractionally better due to placebo effect and maybe overall they don't need treatment because they'll normalize anyways. So hopefully we all feel better about that topic. Now, I wanted to throw in a little bit of a side note here on thyroid issues. Specifically, let's talk about screening for hypothyroidism. Should we be getting thyroid labs every year and who should we be screening thyroid on? I see this a lot, some, some providers and especially OBGYNs, every single time they see a patient, they check a TSH regardless of symptoms, no symptoms, age, doesn't really matter. So what do the experts, what's the guideline recommendation from all the major medical societies based on the evidence? Uh, USPFTF, our favorite, uh, they have insufficient evidence for or against screening for hypothyroidism. Great. Uh, AAFP, uh, our own organization, over the age of 60, consider screening. That's really not helpful at all. Thanks, guys. Uh, American Thyroid Association, uh, shockingly, says everyone over 35, every five years should be screened. And of course they do. I mean, this is, this is the American Thyroid Association. Of course they're going to say that. There's absolutely no evidence to support that. But again, every five years getting the TSH, which while completely non-evidence-based, is not that crazy of a recommendation in the real world when it comes to screening and who gets screening at this moment. Again, not evidence-based at all. The American Association for Clinical Endocrinologists state, quote, older patients, comma, especially women, comma, should be screened. Uh, this is like the least helpful guideline of all time. Uh, doesn't have an actual age, doesn't have any actual science behind it, doesn't even have an interval about who should be screened, just older patients, especially women, should be screened. Yeah, thanks guys, appreciate that. The American College of Physicians state women over 50 should consider screening if incidentally symptomatic, which uh, again, that's not screening, that's now diagnostic tests. So I think we're talking about semantics here, uh, but interesting, I, I think that's a reasonable, reasonable guideline. Europeans say screening for thyroid issues are completely unjustified if asymptomatic. So uh, again, this fits with my realm of nihilistic medicine is oftentimes very good medicine. Uh, so I probably tend to lean with the Europeans, but I like ACPs, the American College of Physicians uh, guideline about screening, especially women who are symptomatic, which again is no longer screening, but I think it's in general a reasonable guideline. So how'd we do today? Enjoy what you're listening to? Any suggestions on topics for the podcast or recommendations of articles, please send them to me at primarycarepod at gmail.com. That's all one word, primarycarepod at gmail.com. We'll also take any comments, questions, or concerns about the episode. If you want me to read your comment or question on the next episode, I can certainly throw them in. Please include whether you want to that comment or question to be anonymous or credited with your name. And so we'll wrap up another episode saying thank you for listening to the Primary Care Podcast. This has been Dr. Mark List reminding you, you don't need to stay up all night to stay up to date. Thanks and have a great day.